Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds. Really excited to talk with you today and learn from you. Can you please start by introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Yes, well, thank you so much for having me as well. It's a pleasure to be part of the podcast today. My name is Ann Human. I am the Associate Director of the Sexual Assault Prevention and Awareness Center, SAPAC, at the University of Michigan in the Division of Student Life. So in that role, um, I provide direct oversight and supervision for all of the units prevention education efforts. So all of those efforts that are designed to um, change our culture essentially as it relates to sexual assault. Um, and I also provide support for our survivor support and advocacy services at SAPAC. And then I manage our internal day-to-day -day operations. So I always say there are no two days that are exactly alike. Um, so it's my job to make sure that our services are, are running smoothly across all of our, our programs. So many important tasks. And I really want to learn more and help our listeners learn more about this unit. So can you explain what SAPAC is and share some of the goals and values? Yes, of course. So SAPAC, as I mentioned, is the Sexual Assault Prevention and Awareness Center. And something interesting about us is that we've been on campus since 1986. So we just recently celebrated our 35th anniversary, which is sort of a unique quality when it comes to a sexual assault organization on a campus, um, that we've been here for that long. And we've had decades to sort of learn and grow and evolve. Um, but essentially, SAPAC, we address sexual assault, intimate partner violence, stalking, and sexual and gender-based violence on campus. And we do that in a multitude of ways. So in a nutshell, we offer prevention education for students. We provide confidential support for survivors. And we collaborate with many other offices across campus to offer trainings and programs and innovative community engagement strategies with the ultimate goal of creating a campus free from violence. Um, now, we recognize that this issue that we're talking about is a very complex social justice, public health, human rights issue, and it requires a really comprehensive long-term plan and vision. So it's not something that changes easily, right? We're talking about culture change. Um, and that takes time and it takes intention and it takes commitment. And so um, one of the models that we use to guide our work is the public health model for prevention. And the public health model outlines sort of three different approaches. And I'm sharing this with you because this really serves as, as a guidepost in our work and it helps frame 
everything that we do. So with the public health approach, they talk about primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention. So with our primary prevention approaches, those are all about addressing, you're addressing the issue way before anything harmful or violent ever happens. So we call this a really upstream kind of approach because you're trying to promote the attitudes and the behaviors that you want others to adopt. So this is, you know, we're promoting healthy, respectful, inclusive behaviors. So um, at SAPAC, this would look like we're teaching about healthy relationships and consent and healthy communication, things like that. Um, secondary prevention is about um, we're recognizing that something harmful is happening, but we're trying to intervene and minimize the impact of that harm. So this is where things like bystander intervention education comes in, where we're teaching around um, recognizing harmful behavior and then teaching the skills to intervene safely and effectively to try to minimize the impact of, of any harm. And then our tertiary prevention efforts are focused on after violence or harm has happened. So this is where we are supporting survivors. We're teaching others about how to support the survivors in their lives. Um, how do you be an ally? How do you understand the impact of trauma? Things like that. So you can kind of um, conceptualize it as before, during, and after. Um, so that's kind of our way of approaching this complex issue in a really comprehensive way. Um, and in terms of values, we've had these five long-standing values, I think from ever since the beginning of SAPAC. Um, and those are respect, survivor empowerment, social justice, student-centeredness, and excellence. Thank you so much. So April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and so this conversation is especially timely. So can you tell me about some of those programs and events? Can you elaborate on some of those things that you were sharing that are offered by SAPAC? Yes, yes. And in April, Sexual Assault Awareness Month is a great opportunity to sort of shed additional light on these issues and get really creative in how we're spreading the message in the community. So we have lots of different events going on. Um, we have five different student volunteer programs at SAPAC and about 150 or so volunteers um, who coordinate all of these events for Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So they've been really hard at work. Um, we have, um, so we have our Survivor Empowerment and Ally Support Volunteer Program. They're hosting a self-love yoga event this Friday, April 1st, from 4.30 to 5.30 in the Wolverine Room of the Michigan Union. And I should mention that all of these events are on our website at sapac.umich.edu. Um, in addition, this year, SAPAC is partnering with the Ann Arbor Goddess Run, which is um, taking place this Sunday, April 3rd in downtown Ann Arbor. There's a 5K, a one mile fun run, 
and a 200 meter kids dash. Um, and so this year, when people register for the race, they have the opportunity to donate to SAPAP. And also we will be there on the day of the race, sort of sharing information about all of our programs and services. But that's an exciting thing that we're doing for the first time this year. That same day, our SEAS program that I mentioned earlier is hosting our 17th annual art show. It's called Revolution Making Art for Change. And so it's really an art show that's dedicated to increasing awareness around sexual assault and gender-based violence, promoting healing and visibility around these issues. And so there'll be an art gallery that will be open for viewing on Sunday, April 3rd from 4 to 6 p.m. in the Rackham Graduate School on the fourth floor. We have lots of other events too that I can, I can share if if that's okay. Um, we have our bystander intervention and community engagement volunteer program, also known as BICE, who is hosting a panel discussion specifically about sexual harassment in the workplace and what you can do as a bystander if you're witnessing something like that and how what your options are for um, intervening or you know, providing support for somebody who's experiencing something like that. Um, so they'll have a panel discussion on Friday, April 8th, 4 to 5.30 p.m. That'll be a Zoom event. And then this is one of our really long-standing events. We have a Survivor Speakout event um, on Sunday, April 10th, 6 to 8 p.m. in the Pendleton Room of the Union. So it'll be in person and Survivor Speak Out is an opportunity for survivors of sexual assault to share their stories, to share whatever they're comfortable sharing in a safe and supportive environment. So um, that's something that we've provided for many, many years. And it's always a really powerful space because you're hearing just the really unique um, stories of people who've experienced trauma and what that was like, and in some cases, what their healing journey has been like as well. Um, and then um, our Michigan Men program, that's another volunteer program that we have that's designed to engage in discussions around healthy masculinity. Um, they are hosting a masculinity and film event on Thursday, March 31st from 8 to 10 p.m. in Palmer Commons. Um, so they'll be watching the movie How to Train Your Dragon and um, engaging in dialogue surrounding ideas of masculinity in that film. So lots of different events going on for Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and we really hope that people are able to participate in at least one or two of those. Um, the students have been hard at work to coordinate really engaging events this year. It's such a wide array of things as well. Like no matter what your interest is, there's something that aligns and it's really important for advocacy and passions. And it's really great. They're, they are clearly, as you said, very hard at work. So can you also describe the services that are available for students who have experienced and survived sexual assault? Yes. 
So one of the things that I think is, is most important to share is that at SAPAC, we're coming from a place of really recognizing and honoring that support and healing looks different for everybody, right? So um, our goal is to always provide multiple options and pathways that people can take when they reach out for support. So um, one person might be comfortable talking with an advocate in person, while another might feel more comfortable calling an anonymous support line, right? And so we're trying to create multiple options for, for folks to receive support. Another thing that I think is really important to, for people to know is that our services are free for the University of Michigan community and they are confidential. So um, somebody can come to us and reach out for support and whatever they share with us will stay confidential. And we wouldn't share anything that was, was shared with us unless a survivor wanted us to. So um, that can be really helpful for people to have a place to just sort out what's going on for them in a confidential space. And then we can help them sort of take the next steps from there. I also think it's important for people to know that we provide support for supporters of survivors too. So you know, friends, family members, people who are there in the lives of survivors who are trying to figure out what's my role, how do I best help somebody through this situation, we can provide support for those folks too. So I can share a little bit about the different kinds of support that we offer. So we have a whole team of professional staff members who are case managers and advocates. And so they are available to meet with survivors either in person or virtually Monday through Friday during regular business hours. Um, something that we learned throughout the pandemic is that some students are more comfortable accessing services virtually. And that I think maybe even reduced some barriers potentially to, to reaching out. And so, um, we will most likely continue to offer both in-person and virtual support services. Um, now, what can a case manager or advocate offer a survivor? That looks like many different things too, just depending on what somebody needs and, and where they are in their journey. Sometimes people just are looking for emotional support and assistance with processing the emotions that they're feeling. Um, and so we provide that, you know, so we're going to be offering empathy and validation and support and helping people make sense of their experience. Um, other times, survivors are looking for more sort of tangible assistance, navigating a particular process or system. So, um, we provide, you know, academic advocacy. So it might, um, it might be that a survivor is having some challenges with their academics as they're trying to navigate a trauma, right? So we work together with professors and instructors, CSIs to um, come up with some academic accommodations, whether that be, um, you know, a, an excused absence or 
an extension on a deadline for an assignment. Um, so we're there to provide that kind of academic support. Um, we also provide medical advocacy. And so we can connect survivors with medical care, whatever that might look like. Um, we can assist them as they seek that medical care. Um, we also provide support with reporting. So some survivors might be interested in reporting what happened to them to either the university's you know, Title IX investigation process or you know, the formal criminal justice investigation process. So either of those, we can help survivors understand, first of all, what those processes and systems look like. Um, and then we can walk alongside them through each step of that process. We also do a lot of housing advocacy. So maybe somebody might feel unsafe in their current living situation and need to get out of a lease or find a safe place to live. So we can help with things like that too. So those are just a few of the things that we do. Um, you know, if we are not the right place for somebody, we will do everything we can to actively connect them with a place that can, you know, um, provide them with what they need. And so, um, I always say we're just here to meet a survivor wherever they are and kind of walk alongside them with whatever next steps make sense for them. So that's sort of meeting with an advocate or a case manager, either in person or virtually. But we also have other options and ways that survivors can receive support. Um, we have peer-led support groups. So we have student staff here at SAPEC who run weekly support groups. And so that is another type of, of, of a healing space, right? And so um, that's a type of space where you can sort of decompress, process some of your emotions, do some like arts and crafts type activities, self-care activities, and find community with other students, right? Who might have some shared experiences. So we have three of those support groups. We have one that's sort of a general support group for open to any student. We have a group that's specific for students of color. And then we have a third group that is specific for LGBTQ plus identified students. So, um, you know, trying to provide spaces that are really tailored to the unique experiences of, of students on campus. Um, and then finally, we have a 24-hour support line that is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week that people can reach out to to get support. So just, a, a, you know, multiple pathways that students can um, get support from SAPAC. It's really helpful and reassuring to hear of all of these different ways and methods of seeking those support and resources, and these are clearly all immensely important things to offer, but could you tell me why this is especially important in a higher education setting? Yes, I think there are lots of different reasons why this is an important area for higher education. So, I mean, first off, I can start with the more sort of legal framework. So, you know, any higher education institution that accepts 
federal funding is required to comply with Title IX, right? And so Title IX prohibits sex discrimination. Sexual assault is considered sex discrimination. In a nutshell, Title IX requires things like prompt, thorough, and impartial investigation. It requires, um, you know, prompt and effective steps to end any kind of misconduct that's happening, to prevent it from happening again, and to remedy its effects. And so we have that Title IX side of things, right, which makes it really critical that higher education institutions have really solid policies and processes in place. Um, and you can imagine when a student comes to a university, there are so many things that are available to them to experience, right? From classes to student organizations, to research, volunteer and job opportunities. So when something like sexual assault happens, a trauma like sexual assault, it, it has the potential to interfere with all of those things that a student has the right to. And so it's really critical that um, we have those policies and processes in place to try to remedy those effects so that students can indeed enjoy and take advantage of all of those offerings um, and within a higher education institution. So, so there's that sort of Title IX, like legal framework side of things, but also I would say, you know, the college years are such a critical time for development, for, for identity development, right? So students are making sense of the world around them. They're being exposed to new ideas and concepts. They're forging new relationships, whether those are, you know, friendships or roommates or classmates or even intimate relationships, right? Um, so it's a really critical time for that development. Um, and I wanted to just pull a little bit from the work of Jennifer Hirsch and Seamus Khan, who wrote the book, the 2020 book called Sexual Citizens, A Landmark Study of Sex, Power, and Assault on Campus. This book has been shaping a lot of our work at SAPAC because it offers just new insights and new ways of thinking about the work. Um, so within this book, um, over the course of five years, the authors interviewed more than 150 undergraduate students at Columbia and Barnard College about their sex lives. And the research explored what students wanted out of sex and how, how did these harmful encounters unfold. Um, and there were some really powerful concepts that emerged from those interviews. So this idea of sexual citizenship emerged, which essentially means, you know, an acknowledgement of one's own right to sexual self-determination and then recognizing that right in others as well. Another concept that emerged was this idea of, they called it sexual projects, but basically um, what are the reasons why someone might seek a particular sexual experience or interaction? There are possibly lots of different reasons. So it's important to 
kind of know that about oneself. Um, and, you know, the third concept that emerged was called sexual geography, which encompasses the spatial context through which people move and the peer networks that can regulate access to those spaces. So this book really provided some new insights, some new language, some new frameworks for understanding some of the forces that shape young people's sexual relationships, specifically within the college context. So, so all of these things make it um, sort of an important critical thing to understand and address within a higher education environment. And looking at the University of Michigan and SAPAC, what can members of the campus community expect when they contact SAPAC? Yeah, I think, first of all, there are multiple ways to reach out to SAPAC. So people can email us, they can call us, they can walk into our office on the fourth floor of the Michigan Union. Um, and I would say, you know, people reach out to us for all kinds of reasons. And so one thing I would want people to know is that there's no, there's no dumb question. You know, there's no, uh, we want people to reach out to us. And no matter what, we're going to meet you where you are and help you figure out the next step. So um, sometimes people are reaching out because they are interested in receiving confidential support due to a traumatic experience they had. Sometimes people reach out because they're interested in exploring like a workshop or a training opportunity with their group. Um, sometimes people reach out because they're just looking for help navigating sort of a complicated situation and they're not sure what to do about that. So regardless of what people are reaching out to SAPAC for, um, I would say you can expect kindness, professionalism, prompt communication, confidentiality, support, and sensitivity to your situation. So um, you, we would connect anybody with the most appropriate staff person in our office who could help them take the next steps. So um, I would say our goal, again, is to just always meet people where they are, provide information and options, and then unconditionally support whatever option somebody chooses and then walk alongside them in that journey. You've shared so much information and so many resources. If everyone listening remembers one thing from this conversation, and I know this is a really difficult question, but I really like to hear from our experts on the big takeaway. So if everyone listening remembers one thing from this conversation, what would you want that to be? This is such a good question and so challenging to narrow it down to one thing. So I managed to narrow it down to two. Um, but I would say if you are a survivor or if you've gone through something that um, has felt traumatic or challenging or difficult and you're trying to make sense of your situation, you're not alone. I think that sometimes we 
we think that we have to navigate through these things alone and by, by ourselves. And I understand why, but I would want people to know that they're not alone, that there is a lot of support available and that we are here to provide unconditional support. And so we are coming from a place at SAPAC where we understand there's so many different factors in someone's life that impact how someone is experiencing trauma, right? So um, identity, like race, gender, class, right? Any history of trauma. What does your family support or structure look like? What kind of peer support do you have? The list goes on and on, right? All of those things shape how trauma feels for somebody. So we believe that survivors understand their situation better than anyone. They are the experts of their situation. So we are here to provide information, um, support, options, um, information about what each pathway might look like. And then we really believe that survivors know best, you know, what, what option is going to work best for them. So we're there to unconditionally support those choices that survivors make. So that's one thing that I would share. The other thing that I would share is regarding prevention, right? So I would want people to know that every single person has a role to play in prevention. So you don't have to be an expert in sexual assault prevention to have a role, right? So that might be engaging in healthy relationships yourself or positively reinforcing healthy behaviors when you see them in others. It might mean intervening in a harmful situation to help somebody. It might mean sur supporting survivors in your life. It might even just mean having an awareness about resources that are available on campus or attending and supporting events that are designed to create healthy, more knowledgeable campus communities. So everybody has a role to play in sexual assault prevention. Thank you so much, Anne. Is there anything else that you want to add or share before we wrap up today? Just that I'm grateful for the opportunity to share information about SAPAC. I think, you know, of course we have such a large institution. So sometimes it's challenging to just know about all of the different resources and options that are available. So I'm grateful for this opportunity and hopefully people will reach out and connect with us. Thank you so much for your time and all of the information that you've shared. Of course, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.